Marcus. Yo. You like movies? Yes, I do. Hey, Soren. Yeah. Do you like movies? A lot. Well, that, that's great. Sometimes people write a lot like it's one word, and it, it bugs me out, but then I have to remember that grammar and language is a form of oppression, and that not everyone is raised on grammar in that sort of way, and also some people don't aren't born in America, so I don't judge it anymore, but I used to also like draw this mystical character called an allot because like I was that sort of an asshole that like I definitely was one of those people that would do asterisks your back in the day mm. and now I realize that that's like the worst kind of human being well no a fascist is the worst kind of human being um <laughs> but like being I would never say grammar Nazi I'm trying to not use the word Nazi except for actual Nazis but people that are really particular about grammar I think are are missing the the classist point but which is all to say that I'm glad that you like movies a lot and I thought that was a funny aside this is Zebras in America movie podcast recording live from several different places in the world because we live in the future where we can do that and we have uh, a lovely guest this evening Marcus would you like to introduce our friend absolutely yeah we have um <clears throat> filmmaker Soren Sorensen uh, this episode has been uh, a while, uh, you know, in, in, in the making. And there's like a really cool kind of, you know, little somewhat origin backstory. You know, years ago, uh, I don't write for them anymore. But when I wrote for CutPrintFilm.com, uh, they had me review this film, My Father's Vietnam, which like I, I really liked. Um, I wrote the review and then I didn't realize a, a friend of mine was just like, hey, uh, I came across your review of this movie on IMDb. They were like, they were like promoting it or something. I was like, "Oh wow, that's really cool." I was like, "What movie?" It was like my father's Vietnam. I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember. Oh, that's awesome." And then uh, we're not gonna say who. I don't even remember who. But then on Twitter, not too long after that, someone had kind of they didn't insult the movie. They actually didn't say like, "Oh, it's bad," but it was one of those kind of critiques where it was like, "What's the point of even saying?" It was one of those kind of comments that cancels out the comment where it's just like. It's good, but I didn't really like it, but it's well made, but it's not my thing. Like, kind of like one of those things. <clears throat> and then I saw that Soren replied to it. And, I, and and we've talked about, especially recently, we've had a couple of recent guests on the show, filmmakers, whether it be Eliza Hitman or Abba Makama, who talked openly about, like, responding to weird, negative, cryptic comments on Twitter. So I'm always kind of drawn to that. And I saw... I just had an inkling. I was like, oh, this Soren guy must be cool. Because, like, he replied kind of cynically. Not in an a-hole way. And then, like, I followed him. I, I DM'd him. I was like, hey, the guy that made that comment, I actually know him. Do you want me to say anything? Is it? He's like, no, don't worry about it. And I was like, I'm the guy I'm the guy that wrote the review on Cut Print Film. <clears throat> this was a few years ago. And then from that moment on, we've just kind of been Twitter buddies. And then recently, I guess he remembered that I wrote My Father's Vietnam. And then he was like, hey, I'm, I have this new documentary short that you might be interested in uh he sent me a screener i liked it very much and then i thought he and his film content would be perfect for this podcast because as the listeners know we're a very dad-centric dad-focused podcast uh both me and scott both of our fathers passed away from complications of the same disease uh we both loved our dads very much we thought our dads were like really great and kind of like real life su superheroes 
And to some degree, you know, Soren Sorensen's films kind of speak to that, especially his latest film called With Dad. Yeah, fuck and, me uh, with that one. You, yeah. None of y'all gave me a content warning, so... I definitely I, did not. Yeah, yeah. You, you did not, you I motherfucker. Didn't. And I just want to say, Soren, so uh, for people that like the inside baseball, well, one, Soren, what's your favorite baseball team? Man, this is a this is a complicated question. Um, it's it's I, not. It really is because I, I I hail from a, a boring town outside of Hartford, Connecticut, called Avon, uh, and and my dad was a Yankees fan, and my my grandfather was a Red Sox fan. So I watched um, the Red Sox with my grandfather growing up, and the and the Yankees with my dad. And I'm I even met Mickey Mantle was in my, when I was in my teens. My dad loves Yogi Berra, so it was a complicated household for baseball. Wow, um, I, was so I don't just, have a good answer to that question. Yeah, I don't okay. mean to cut you <laughs> off, but I, I, I was just having a conversation about not, not too long ago. My, my wife's best friend is from Connecticut, mm-hmm. and my parents lived in Connecticut for many years. I lived in Connecticut for a bit too, but this is Bridgeport, not mm. not near Hartford. Yeah, and I did notice that when I got there, because there's no specific, even though Connecticut's part of New England. Depending on in Connecticut where you are, you're closer to New York or you're closer to like Massachusetts. Yeah. So I always found it odd. So that's one of those states where like everyone is split. It's like some like the Patriots, some like the Jets or the Giants, some yeah. like you know the Yankees, yeah. some like the Red Sox. Like so, yeah, it's funny New you England. say that. I, yeah, I was just Southern talking England, about right. that. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. right, so <laughs> you know this wasn't where I was trying to go. No, no, no. I was just interjecting. <laughs> I, I was going to say go back to what you were. I just had to say that because I was talking about it recently. We can talk so, Connecticut if you want, man. I mean, I'm in yeah, Rhode Island now, which is even more had, problematic. We had Andrea W. Mass Liberty on, and we talked about Connecticut and our preferred types of a pizza last year, mm. and it was great. And if I had known that I was not going to get back to get some a pizza, I would have had more pizza that time at at. The secret version of Cacio Pepe's, mm. or whatever. Is that, is that New Haven? Is that New is Haven, that one of the yeah. famous New Haven ones? Right. Okay. Yeah, but so so there's a there's a famous one, and no, Cacio Pepe is a type of pasta that's just like cheese and pepper. But there's a place there, and there's they have like a secret version of it that less people show up to, and the menu's like a couple options, and it's awesome. Yeah, and what's the what's the other one that they have franchises now that's famous in New, in New Haven? But it, then now they have it at the airport in Providence, and they have it in Warwick. You, you know, guys familiar with that? I don't oh, know. I'm not sure. No, yeah. I mean I've I've had New Haven. I'm from Brooklyn. I've had New Haven pizza like only a couple times, but I really did like it, and and it was hard for me as a Brooklyn as a Brooklynite. Yeah, you know I, bet. What I mean. Well, you know, Connecticut doesn't have um, this sort of. I mean, we're going to get back to your original thought, but I know you guys like to go on tangents here, so I'm going to I'm going to take the liberty. Uh, Connecticut doesn't have like a character um, the way that Brooklyn does, or even the way Rhode Island and parts of Massachusetts do. So, I I feel like I don't feel a a local allegiance to pizza or sports, and the, the way that you might if you were from you know, Dallas, or if you were from, you know, if you, if you lived in Miami or something like that, like there's not really Connecticut, people don't fight for Connecticut. It's like drive through country. Um, yeah, I don't, I know. don't think that's completely true, Okay, but, but I also like, I'm, my stakes in this are low. <laughs> Mine but, too. This is the problem. Yeah. There, so yeah, so there's this spot called Frank Pepe's and that's Pepe's, one of the most right. famous yeah. ones. Yeah. And then there's modern and there's another one, but Frank Pepe's also has like a secret Frank Pepe's and that's the one. Mm. But I'm also, so I'm, 
I grew up, my father was a Dodgers fan, so mm -hmm. Brooklyn Dodgers. So that translates to um, Mets. We So I've always been Mets. But now that I live in Baltimore, I've decided that the Orioles were okay. Mm -hmm. So that's just like, you yeah. know. Orioles have a cool logo. I've they do. I've always loved the hat. I've always loved the baseball I just got hat. an Orioles hat. And <laughs> nice, so nice. Before I get to the where I was even going with this, let's get some of this stuff out of the way. What who are, what's did you ever break dance? Who are your favorite rappers? Oh, yeah. Who are your yeah. favorite wrestlers? Have you ever smoked oh, PCP? Can we hold on? Hold on. Let me, can I take the? I'll take the last <laughs> one. I'll take the last one first. I have not smoked PCP though. I, I don't. There were there were many years during my life, including parts of this year, where I wouldn't have turned it down. Um, it just has hasn't really crossed you know crossed my path. Um, what, what, hold on. So wrestlers, um, man, I probably Andre the, Andre the Giant, which is kind of like a boring. It might be a boring answer, um, but I always loved him growing up, and I used to have those big rubber like figures, you know, like in the big ring and all that. Oh stuff. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. So I had like Big John, Big John Studd, and I had Hulk Hogan, nice. and I had yeah, and I, I I always liked uh, George the Animal Steel too, the, the the green tongue and eating the turnbuckle sure. and all that stuff was great. Strangely an intelligent yeah. guy, by the way. No, no George kidding. Animal Steel. He's incredibly <laughs> smart, like super, like. Like a good, like a crazy IQ. Like he's really. Also, it's funny that connection. Andre the Giant famously did not like Big John Studd in real life. Really? Just, well, I, and I there was they, no reason for it. He just they didn't just, like they him. Just rubbed him the wrong way. Yeah, sometimes you don't yeah. you don't like people. I mean, yeah. but most yeah. of the people that I know that are wrestling fans, including the two of you, are, are really bright people. So I'm not surprised that there's a lot of intelligent wrestlers because sure. I've, I've actually gone to. Um, to wrestling has a tomorrow a few times here in Providence and uh, here in Rhode Island I should say I'm in Cranston, um, but uh, at, at FET they have these underground wrestling shows and my, my good friend oh, Tom has to go wow. yeah so I've been to a few of those and I have a ball at them and I have friends who totally look down their nose at me for it and I'm like it's fun man it's like a circus and it's like acrobatics and it's I mean, totally related it's to the circus I mean yeah. it, it, it's carny it's like it, it's a carny lifestyle and yeah carny yeah oh that's cool yeah so um but and then like every doc that comes out about wrestling too i'm always like i want to watch like the you know the, yeah. the giant one on hbo or um even even the uh, the jake the snake roberts one like I, I always eat those up it's man. so yeah. good yeah. i've been doing ddp yoga recently so <laughs> jake the snake will occasionally join him on certain workouts like when yeah you do the workouts along them so very really cool and, yeah. and if, uh the david arquette wrestling documentary <laughs> once the wrestling starts is really good yeah it is Oh yeah, I haven't I haven't got a chance to watch that yet, but that's that's on my list for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to break dancing. Um, man, like fourth grade for me was all break dancing. It was all about break dancing, and it was uh, LL Cool J, Batter and Deffer. Uh, it was uh, Grandmaster Flash. It was Jam nice. on it. Like the break, like all the all the the two break dance movies, like Beat Street and Breakin', were like always on. Um, and uh, what else? Um, Beastie Boys for sure. Run DMC for sure. Um, nice. But that was like fourth grade. I, I do think back and I think about the like how big hip hop was when I was in fourth grade, even in suburban, you know, Hart, you know, outside of Hartford, which is like the last place you'd think. But they, you know, the school had the New York City Breakers come in and do like a demonstration and a little class and a workshop and stuff. So we everybody was turned on to it at that point. We were like saving cardboard boxes and pretending to break dance because you know it was like the coolest thing ever, like to go to New York and be in Beat Street and do graffiti and all that stuff. So sure, yeah. yeah. It's a weird thing for a fourth grader to like, probably, but like, I don't. I guess that was everybody liked it at that point. Right. I guess. I mean, I'm not trying to blow up spots, but one of the greatest graffiti writers uh, in New York City also had a bit part in Karate Kid Three. No way. Way, and I just read an article about him 
from Rolling Stone in 1995 about being an all-city graph writer because I was feeling nostalgic as fuck because I've been having a rough week and nostalgia Me is too. either it's either like medicine or poison and yeah. I was in the middle of it I was like on the gray area of it mm. but um, yeah so your favorite rappers just figure we get out of all this yeah. out of the way yeah now. we should I mean that, yeah. that would that would be like the, the, the like original that would be like the rappers that I that like I was first exposed to, I suppose, but I, I, um, how you answer the question is up to you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's, that, that, that's a pretty, as far as I'm concerned, a pretty good answer. I was just listening to, uh, to an interview with, um, they were talking, it was, it was, it was a couple, it was a couple months ago. I haven't seen that Beastie Boys documentary on Apple TV plus. Cause it's one of those. Oh, ones I haven't I, either. Yeah. It's like, I refuse to, to sign up for it for some reason. And that's it's like the hill that many. I'm going to die on. Yeah. Yeah. It's too many. That's one too many. I think that's part of it. I love the Beastie Boys, but I think yeah. that's part of it. I just don't want another password and another thing. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I feel yeah. the same way. I mean, speaking of which, when you, when you mentioned Karate Kid 3, I, I, do you know the joke? Like what does HBO stand for? I mean, there's a couple. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, see, no, see, like, there's a very New York City East okay. Coast. Yeah. It, it, it's more of an insult. Oh yeah. So, all right, so what? What would your punchline to that? To that well, joke? Well, be? well, what did you say yeah. yours was? Hey, Beastmasters on. You know, what? The, the I, yeah, Beastmaster. I never heard that. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, I know that. I just <laughs> oh, yeah, never yeah. heard it used in that way. Yeah. Well, for me, it was Karate Kid Three. So I had I had some friends who had HBO, and and it was always Karate Kid Three was on. It was like unbelievable, like just constantly. But are you are you anticipating the return of anyone from? I, I I've been I I watched Cobra Kai seasons one and two mm. in a weekend, um, and and it I got renewed a lot for of two more seasons. <laughs> It's weird. It, yeah. it, the, I, we're not going to get into that. But the but but what's his name? Crease's homie um, from part three, the ponytail guy. The whole thing, like everyone wants him to come back. Yeah, my memory was wiped uh, from. He was from, like the only good thing about that movie. Yeah. He was such a like sleazy. He yeah. was like, oh, what is his his career got ruined because he was too much like Steven Seagal, and they both did like cheap action movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Hold on, while we're I don't know, I'm, I'm going in the Van Dam direction. I'm trying to think of like martial arts. Yeah. Oh, geez. Sorry. Sorry. Oh man. No, it's fine. This is great. Oh yeah, Thomas Ian Griffith. Yeah, Thomas okay. Ian Griffith. He was okay. the, he was like the other villain in Karate Kid Three, but um, yeah, I'm hoping he shows up for season three because that's the thing. There's a lot of in Cobra Kai they get characters like just like a random person from one scene in the first the original first karate kid shows up like as an adult as, them, as their as their part right that's amazing. it's it's yeah. weird yeah it, it, it's really cool yeah. cobra cool. kai cobra kai is great it has no business being as great no as it, it doesn't is. um and i really think that the main love character interest from the first episode the first elizabeth shoe yeah i think she might show up cuz she was on the boys like she's doing mm. stuff and Netflix just picked up Cobra Kai, and they're putting a little budget into season three. So I really think there's going to be a lot of stuff, and I truly believe that by the end, um, Danny LaRusso is going to be the villain. Sure. And I also, you know, just, I'm not going to give spoilers, but they talk about her line of, of, of like, they talk about her line of work, mm-hmm. and her line of work ties in to something that happened to one of the main characters in season two. All right. Well, I have At to the end of so, this, like, I think they did yeah. that on purpose. Yeah. I'm, I'm the right age to be into that, so I need to, say, I need exactly. to spend some time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, which is all to say is right before we were recording Inside Baseball 16 minutes ago, <laughs> you were saying that you had a bone to pick with me well, about I, something. 
listen, <laughs> li- listen, Soren, and and so we're even because I have a bone to pick for you because I was not prepared to to watch this very intense, beautiful, sad movie about about dads and the subject matter. But I'm gonna let you intro that because it's your it's something you made, and I don't want to make joke of that no no um and the, you said you said you had a bone to pick with me the, the bone to pick with you um was just the i think it's probably um something that's been brought up and you know out in the social media uh universe where people sort of let fly as it were um but that that you i was one of the the um the the sad souls uh for whom uh, uncut gems was spoiled uh, on an episode of this show. Now, if there's some dispute about, I gave spoiler warnings. I gave spoiler <laughs> Did you really? Warnings. So, all right. Yes. I might have been I driving. I might have been at the drive-through or something. I was like, you know, fillet of fish with no cheese. Like, I, you know, I, I don't. I, I might have been. I might have been. Dro- I might have dropped the ball myself there. So, I, I. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I was. I remember. I mean, look, zebra heads. Y'all haven't sent us mail in a long time, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm lying, and you can catch me on your shit. But. Also, I think I just I've I've created text relationships with all the people that would email. Like I'm just like I've become friends with our listeners because like they're pretty cool people. That's great. Um, so maybe that's just why we don't get mail anymore. But if I'm pretty <laughs> sure I say spoiler warning when I'm going to talk about something like that because I wouldn't want to ruin the movie for you. No, and and you know I because I teach filmmaking now and and I spend so many so much time with. Um, you know, with with film professors and 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 discussing how these films work and on different levels and what they do and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't really believe that films can be spoiled in that way. Like, I still I still enjoyed it. It was still surprising. Like, you know, it, it wasn't like a. I honestly don't think when people complain about that, I'm just like, w- did you still watch it? Like, why did you like if it was spoiled? Like, don't turn it on. I guess like so. I, it's sort of a fake complaint, and it's especially you know leveled at you, Scott. Like, I, I wasn't. I, I'm oh yeah, I know. Disingenuous. Like, I know. I know. We're good. <laughs> so I do really want to ask you about your movie, but I just want to say something because I was trying to, I was trying to understand like non, like film people's thoughts about the last scene of um nostalgia mm. by tarkovsky i don't think i've ever seen nostalgia i'm embarrassed to say you have no reason to be embarrassed i'm tired of people <laughs> being embarrassed about like things they haven't been able to do yeah well yeah. you make art that's amazing so you didn't have the time to watch this movie you will yeah but i've okay. seen stalker like three times so <laughs> well stalker is the greatest movie ever made there you go and <laughs> nostalgia is good yeah. So, ah, uh, fuck. So now do I spoil the last Go scene ahead. It's not going to bother me at all, seriously. Because I'll read something sure? about it before I see it anyway. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> Tarkovsky so, movies aren't exactly spoiled. I mean, the statute of limitations know, there's, there's, has run out, yeah. too. It's like spoiling. That, too. Yeah, 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 it's almost 40. So it's, it's been almost 40 years. <laughs> yeah, you got it under Spo- the wire. <laughs> spoiler alert. I think it's exactly 40 years. Um, the end of Nostalgia shows the main character walking with a candle in a one shot through a courtyard with the candle and there's like it's there i was going to say the symbolism it's all symbolism but he does walk with this candle makes this journey and i was curious so i went to reddit and stuff to see what like how how people that weren't in the film twitter sphere that weren't in like that weren't 
I don't want to say like intellectuals because that's bullshit because there's plenty of intellectual people that aren't in certain scenes. But I wanted to see people that were divorced from the scene that weren't in academia, what their interpretation of that scene was. And, and some kid was like, guys, my professor assigned me just this scene and wants me to explain what the scene is about. And I'm, I'm lost. And I'm like, that's a weird move to just like throw the last scene of a quote unquote artsy movie to someone that's a freshman in film school and be like, what is this about? Like without context, mm. that's kind. Of, that's kind of a crazy move. What do you think about that from a pedagogical point of view? Well, I mean, I guess I assume this was like either a midterm project or a final project. Is that right? I don't remember. Well, so I, so that person, I would assume that that student, um, and it could be a, you know, like a bullshit assignment, and and it could have been like not, you know, not fully fleshed out and kind of vague. But like at the same time, whatever the class was for, there's some there's been some frame of reference set up in terms of what are we like what are we exploring about about filmmaking in this class so it could be like national cinemas right and it could be formalism or it could be ideology or it could be um a lot, any any number of things right so so if that so if you're going deep on a scene um you could discuss it in terms of um you know camera movement and and you could focus simply on editing or just cinematography or only costume design and makeup or you know so so i guess like you can you could, and then then if it's if it's operating sort of allegorically, or it's just it's doing it's doing one thing, but uh, or, or it's showing you one thing, but sort of telling you another. Right. Then you'd think that um, maybe you know that, that that's come out in the discussions of other scenes, which is like well, how does a scene sort of operate, and how does uh, how does framing work in a scene? How how you go from a wide into a tight by the end of the scene, or something like that, or or who's winning in the script, right? So like who's who's getting over on the other person in the screenplay? So I don't know. There's like I mean sort of infinite numbers of you know infinite number of ways of analyzing a scene but it sounds like a complicated thing when you're when you're dealing with a film like that or a filmmaker like that and maybe maybe it's like not not your bag to kind of do film analysis and it's not everybody's it's not mine frankly i mean i'm a i'm a practice person and i work with you know theory and and history people um they just happen to be my good friends so I'm, i'm lucky i have three you know film phd you know close friends who are also my close colleagues um you know we spend a lot of time together and and um, we're all lucky to have each other, I think. Um, but I'm a little bit of the odd man out. I have an MFA and they all have PhDs. Right. And that's awesome. But also like the question from the professor wasn't like about the cinematography. Like what is, it wasn't like, what is the cinematography telling you? Or like, what is the pacing telling you? What is like, they were like, what does this scene mean? And it's like, in like making meaning about of this one particular scene without the context of the entire movie just felt like a very strange um and, and he's, he's supposed to you're supposed to answer it without without the context of the rest of the film exactly like, that was why i was like yeah yeah how would, i mean how would i know what this scene means <laughs> well maybe like, it's maybe it's a personal essay i mean maybe you're supposed to you're supposed to look at it and 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 sort of imagine what it's doing sans context right so you're so I, but i don't know i mean I, I wouldn't i wouldn't give an assignment like that because i don't you know i don't like to grade papers so I, you know i don't that's not like a thing that i give my students because my students will make film projects and I'm, I'm usually grading them on like you know sound design cinematography you know whether they maintained focus uh you know if they if they hit all the requirements of the project if there's dialogue overlap and sound bridges and things like that so um you know i don't 
I'm, I'm never kind of making them do close analysis of their own work, certainly, and I'm not looking to close analyze their work. Um, and in fact, when somebody veers into territory of like, they're making an experimental film that, that might operate better in a gallery um, than as a web film or a, a short film that might go in a festival or something, I'm always excited about that because I don't really understand it either. You know, I'm, I, I don't, I like thinking about it. Uh, you know, it doesn't, I'm old enough that it doesn't bother me to, to not know something like I, you know, yeah. I can, I can cop to it. I can Google it or I can, I can ask the question. And part, part of why I like being a documentary filmmaker is like, I can actually, you know, ring up an artist, like somebody like Steven from the film, like, you know, so it's like, how, what is this? What is this? What, what, like, I don't have a lot of big frame of reference for doing visual art, close reading. So when I talk to somebody like Steven, he, there's no pretense. He doesn't sit down and, and, you know, you know, weave this kind of you know impenetrable narrative about what he does. It's well, very accessible. And since you brought up Stephen, mm. why don't you tell us about Stephen, and why don't you tell tell us about your new project? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so, I mean, all of this kind of goes back to um, uh, going to uh, grad school um, again. So I, I I did my undergrad at Berkeley College of Music, and I and I studied film scoring there. Um, and it was always music has always been kind of um, you know, less than a, a, a career and, but more than a hobby kind of thing. And I was always feeling like, how do I break into this or what's the best, how, what am I the best at, or how can I, how can I be better at this? And, um, you know, and, and it, there was a lot of like little jobs here and there, you know, I've done, I've done music for, um, you know, Showtime and History Channel and, you know, Travel Channel and stuff like that, but, but all just kind of one-offs and like little mini series stuff. So, um, what like in the mid 2000s um, I ended up uh, after a breakup like I ended up in therapy um, and and I don't know if you, either of you go to therapy or both of you go to therapy but like a, a talk therapist yeah. we're big yeah, so, in therapy there you go so a talk therapist if you know if you have a good talk therapist and they all kind of say this I think is like talk therapy is like a mirror you know that this sort of holds up a mirror to you it's not like self-help they're not telling you to do something you know it's, it's more mm-hmm. like yeah it's like it's a showing you what's already there kind of and and um you know, I, I said something like, I, I've, I've, I never asked my dad about the Vietnam War, you know, and I'm 30, and isn't that weird, and shouldn't I have talked to him about this by now, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and the therapist was like, why don't you ask him, you know, and it was like, you know, it's a big breakthrough, like, he <laughs> was like, I could have asked anybody, and they might have said that, but this therapist, again, like, going back to, and I was living in New York at the time, um, and it, it just happened that my, one of my best friends was a um, um, cinematographer, and he still is, he shoots reality TV mainly, but... Um, he um uh, he said, well, why don't we shoot it instead of just? I was thinking about I'd make an audio recording of it or something like that. And he said, why don't we record it? I mean, why don't we shoot it? And um, that was like a five and a half hour conversation. I mean, I think we took a lunch break, but like I didn't know how to interview anybody, less least of all my dad. So I had all these like copious notes that I had taken. I did all this research, and it was kind of the opposite of what I do now when I interview people. But um, and then that that literally took ten years. Like over the course of ten years, like when when Marcus talks about reviewing my father's Vietnam, that would have been twenty sixteen, and and the interview with my dad was in two thousand six. So I'm not the most prolific oh, filmmaker wow. that you're talking to on this on this show, and and it was a lot of like hiatuses that I spent thinking, well, I'm not going to do anything with this, and I you know I, I sort of went around the country collecting these interviews, and I'm just like, I'm not really. This is just kind of this is going to sit on the shelf, and that's fine, and. So I found a, a master's, an MA program at Rhode Island College, and I made that my kind of thesis project for that. And so I finished a cut of it, and that was way back in like 2012, you know, and it still took me another four years to get it to where it is, which I, I haven't actually sat down and watched it in, in four or five years now because I just I almost can't. 
I think well, that sounds pretty like, common. Yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, of filmmakers yeah. say that about, yeah. especially a movie like this. Yeah, well, I, it's not the it's not the subject matter. It's more like I get hung up on formal stuff, and I'm always like, well, th- there's not really any world where I'm going to be like, oh, that was perfect or something, you know. And no, mm. I think that's just the way it is. Um, but anyways, this is all to say that like I I kind of got that itch to go back to school again and it was especially because i was teaching having gotten out of that ma program at rhode island college they were hiring me as an adjunct to teach um you know digital audio production and eventually kind of intro to film production and i was teaching film studies courses which was sort of a nightmare because you got people who aren't interested in film studies going to get an easy a because you know because it's a film studies course and then you show them the 400 blows and they're like mad about it at the end. Like, what the hell was that ending? You know, they kind of get pissed about it. And so hmm. it was, that was a, those were weird conversations with like, you know, people who they're just not interested. That's all right. Sure, but it's like, sure. people really want there to be a definitive ending. Um, yeah. So, um, and, and, and not like the ending that um, Uncut Gems offers, by the way. Um, but, <laughs> but so they, so, um, so I kind of, I was teaching and then, and then of course, like I don't have what's, what you consider to be a terminal degree, um, which is a master of fine arts degree. And I, in fact, never went to film school. So I, I, I enrolled in uh, Vermont College of Fine Arts, um, which is a two year low residency program. And with that became like this film that we're, you know, ostensibly here to discuss, sorry for the tangent, um, is, what uh, we do. yeah, yeah. So, so with that, um, which is kind of doing festivals right now, um, was my thesis film and a uh, documentary filmmaker named uh, Nina Davenport was my uh, faculty advisor whose work is amazing. And she did parallel lines and first comes love and, uh, uh always a bridesmaid and, and a lot of very cool personal docs that really spoke to me, uh, instantly. And she's been deeply involved in the film. In fact, I've she's she's now like consulting editor on the film and not like faculty advisor for grad school so um she's been you know instrumental in getting the film out there in front of audiences and and making it what it is for sure um Mm -hmm. but um i uh i mean it was a simple it was really simple i was at one of the residencies um where you get all these great filmmakers that come in and present work and works in progress they do q a's and screenings and all this stuff and um i was in two i was in two um particular talks um one with uh, Michael Almereda, um, who j- just directed that Tesla film with, um, with uh, oh, why can't I remember his name? From uh, <laughs> Ethan Hawke, sorry. Very oh, famous guy who, yeah. whose name escaped me for a yeah. second. <laughs> he also did like Hamlet with Ethan Hawke, I'm pretty sure, Michael Almereda. He's, he's done a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. but they, he's done a couple with Ethan Hawke. But um, anyway, so, so he had a film, a short film that's on YouTube called... Uh, called uh, Skin and Grove, um, which is a short film. I think it's like 15 minutes long. It's about a uh, Harvard professor, uh, photography guy, Chris, a photographer, Chris Killip. Um, and Chris Killip is essentially doing what I'm doing in this film, only it's a little even more kind of Spartan and kind of, sim- you know, very, very not much on the set. It's like he's sitting in, in front of like a light-up globe for like a practical light. And then there's, you know, the, the, the photographs are being projected kind of behind him or to his side, and then they push in. You know, he he doesn't move on any of the film, uh, any of the stills. He just shows you the stills basically with the black on either side, and um, and those that film really spoke to me. And I think a lot of people in the audience were kind of maybe that was a little boring or that wasn't their cup of tea. And Michael Almereda has worked in so many different kinds of uh, filmmaking, so he was presenting all these short works, which was really fun because it was like you're just a tourist, you're just going from thing to thing to thing. Um, but, and then, so that spoke to me a lot. And then the other thing was, um, um, and this is about a UK, it was like a fishing village. Um, um, and, uh, and it's, and it was a multi-year project like, like Steven's, uh, Steven Dorado's project that I, that I made a film about. Um, and then also Yancey Ford was there, um, who, who presented Strong Island, which is on Netflix. I don't know if you, you guys have seen that. Um, but, but no. Strong Island, 
Strong Island, I mean, is an amazing film and, and is a whole other conversation. But the main thing was, like, I liked this overhead shot that he used. And I think it was a white backdrop that he used. But um, it was, uh, and that's, this was nominated for, for an Oscar that year, too. Um, but uh, he, he kind of, like, has this, this bird's eye view, but, like, not a bird not, not very high in the air kind of thing. But, like, looking down on a white, you know, white sort of seamless just backdrop and handling things that you know, items like picture, a lot of photographs, but just like items that belong to his brother or like childhood things, whatever it was. So um, I said, I sort of thought to myself, like, well, I have this colleague at Clark University where I work, um, Stephen Dorado, who's a professor of practice in studio art. And he's this incredible photographer and he works, he's done so many different, you know, big multi-year documentary photography projects. Um, maybe I can do kind of a career spanning thing on him or, or, or maybe I'll just focus on one area of his work. And so I started really scrolling through his website and thinking, okay, what would make the best film? And it was like not even really close. I mean, I, and, it, and it had really nothing to do, oddly enough, with my, my father's Vietnam. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm still working on um, a, a, fil a film about a, a jazz artist, a, well, Latin jazz artist named Omar Sosa, a Cuban artist. Um, and, and I've been working yeah, on that. Yeah, I saw a preview for yeah, that. Yeah, so many years I've been working on that, and that was going to be my my thesis film. But it, and I and I raised some money from Kickstarter, but like, it is very complicated animal, and I've got an animator on it, and I have an assistant editor now, and I, there's a lot of stuff going on with that that I I didn't think I could do it justice in the time that I had. So I made this 29 minute film about Stephen and the the 20 year process of his dad passing away from Alzheimer's disease, which as you alluded to Scott earlier, it's not the most uplifting topic in the world and it's a hard well, elevator pitch, but well, yeah, let me, well, so I don't know if you know this about me, but you know, I work in mental health and I actually work in end of life therapy and mm. to a certain extent. That's like what my, what my sort of, but not is sort of like my focus. So, mm. I don't go too deeply into my work here and I'm not going to go too deeply here, but so I actually don't think that this story that you tell of this photographer photographing and interacting with his father in his decline in Alzheimer's is it's done in a way that's very celebratory. It is sad because Alzheimer's is sad. It is sad because losing the ones you love is sad. There is no doubt sadness about it. But the way that y'all tell the story and that the way he celebrates his father is not sad. Mm. And that was something that I that I really fucked with about it. And I'm sorry to push you back on on your no, arm. No, no, no. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I I agree. I mean, ultimately, so, that's a that's a shitty line. I mean, that I, you you know, but but how many people. You, you can imagine how many people I you see their sort of faces drop when you say, well, what, oh, what are you working on? What's your film about? And it's like, right. <laughs> it but, sounds like watching a flower die in, you know, in, in, in you know, time-lapse photography or something. I mean, it's, it's the, hard, you know. But the thing is, like, I've seen, like, I'm going to be truly open right now. Mm. Like, I've seen flowers die in real life. I've seen people die in real life. Mm. I've seen animals die in real life. I've seen death. I've seen life. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of shit soaring. Mm. And... The thing is, as people get older and people get more mature or they come from places where they don't have this luxury of getting older and getting mature, they see people die too. And they see this stuff. And the thing is like, you know, yeah, there might be people who are who get give you that uncomfortable face. But I guarantee you someone listening to this is going to be like, oh, man, I, I remember like dealing with my father with dementia or my mother or my grandmother or my aunt. And 
you know, what if I, I was taking pictures of them? What if I was interacting with them in an art project? Um, you know, we've really moved past like the way that we're treating Alzheimer's patients and dementia patients and, um, you know, Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's, which is not the same, but is related in that sort of like neurocognitive decay is that there's all new ways to do it. And, and my goal in life is to shit on whack shit, love awesome shit and make, and, and make sure that people are living with integrity. And, you know, destroying the patriarchy, too, and capitalism would be nice as well. Uh, I'm on so, board with all that. Yeah. So, yeah. like, uh, there's even, like, there's a couple, you you know about LARPing? Remi- remind me, yeah. It's like live-action role-playing? Yes, yeah, yeah, LARPing, right, yeah. So yeah. there's, like, some My sister's going to kill me for not knowing what that meant, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> you know, um, there's this town, there's a couple towns in Scandinavia that are just for elders with Alzheimer's and dementia and their houses and their their villages are created to be like in the time that they sort of remember themselves being in. So it's sort of like a, an augmented reality for mm. people that are there. Wow. So, so it's like, you know, they've realized that like m- many studies show that fucking with someone's reality of what the reality is doesn't help them. So like, like you're trained that if someone says, hey, are you my mom? And you're clearly not their mom. You don't necessarily lie to them, but you don't say no. Mm. So there are these places that are like, yo, we're just going to set this up like the 30s. If you, what you remember is the 30s, have at it for the last couple of years of your life, wow. you know? Wow. Yeah. And so like, I really, I was really, the reason why I was fucked up is like, you know, I'm getting open today. I don't give a shit. Sorry for all the curses today, guys. I usually don't curse this much on the show. I mean, Marcus, it, it do, I, gives, do I usually curse It gives me this license, much? though. I feel, I feel good about it. Yeah. Do I curse this much, Marcus? Not really. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, um, you know, my, my, grand, my grandmother had Alzheimer's, and like almost every single one of her siblings had Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm. So you like watch them slowly like go in and I imagine that if I knew about different ways to stay connected with them what that might have been like right Mm. and like there's different ways of dealing with it in art have you ever heard the song I'm not gonna miss you by Glenn Campbell no, but I mean, yeah, I have, but I, I'm, I, I know the doc, but I'm not like a huge. I, I like Glenn Campbell a lot. I, I'm just not that familiar with him, but yeah, I, I know the documentary for sure. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, and like he, the last song he wrote was this ballad to his family, that like, yeah, what sucks is that I'm not gonna miss you guys, because mm. because I don't, I'm not gonna remember. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is a, this is a song I've talked about on podcasts before, but it mm-hmm. really, you know what. Uh, when art is meta like this and kind and thoughtful, it it really it really can give you an elevation. And like this song of this, like I'm accessing that I'm writing this song that I have to be reminded of over and over and over again. Yeah. Or like um, Chocolate Genius's song, My Mom, where he's like just singing about the slow decline of his mom, like forgetting his name. And then mm. movies that deal with this stuff 
either like are over the top like still Alice or make you want to like cry for like a week like uh, Away From Her by Sarah Polly, right? Yeah. Like that movie, like if you don't cry from that movie, that's like a litmus test if you're a psychopath. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I'd love to, I'd love so much about that movie too is that like oh I knew six, you had something to say about Sarah Polly six years. <laughs> oh well I mean yeah she's awesome and she recognized me at TIFF once I thought that was cool but um when Amore came out there were quite a few articles that like weren't it wasn't like a rip off thing but they were just like Amore uh, uh, away from her came up in a lot of people's uh, Amore re- reviews because they are incredibly s- uh, similar films right down to them both being like older slash elderly uh, couples and then it was just one of those things where like over the years I'm still surprised by the number of people just like oh the star of you know of the Dawn of the Dead remake directs movies and it's like yeah she's a she's a great filmmaker but um yeah 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 um it's funny you you guys mentioned um Amor on a a podcast a couple podcasts ago probably and that's on my list for sure and and I don't yeah I I I always I always bring this up like I always hear this question at Q and A's with 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 films with really serious subject matter like you know just end of life issues in general whether it's about mm-hmm. Alzheimer's or not but like you know somebody will ask the filmmaker like I mean I, I sort of have a cynical answer for it I have to be a little softer with it probably but like oh when somebody, and yeah. when you're done could you actually I don't think we exactly explained what this last movie is and about uh, with dad. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, so yeah, but but you know this this idea that um, like what do you do for self care, you know when you're when you're experiencing, um, you know such such hard you know you know really um, you know gutting kind of riveting material like this that like takes all of your emotion and kind of saps you of it and how do you like how do you get back to normal and all this kind of stuff and you know like my my answer is like I I, I like I, I'm doing it because I like it it's not it's not like. <laughs> I don't get pleasure out of it, but it's like, I, I don't, I don't really enjoy small talk. So like yeah. when, like if I'm able to, um, you know, live in a place that's like life and death or, you know, that, that people are dealing with serious subjects or films are dealing with, not, not that I don't like frivolous films and comedies and anything else. Frivolous whatever, but it's films like, is one thing, yeah. but small talk is slowly killing me. Yeah. I, that's, that's rough. And it, and it, and it's worse on zoom. I mean, we don't have to talk. We don't have to go there, but I, I yeah. So, so I, but the, my answer to that is always like, well, we do this cause we, this, we're drawn to it. We do it because it's compulsive. It's not like, it's not like we're like, oh, I gotta wake up and go do the Alzheimer's film again. Like I, I, I wanted to do it like really badly, and like luckily Stephen said yes. So, I mean, so the film, so the film is basically like Stephen works a lot with um, this really large format eight by ten negative um, kind of antique box camera. Like you think of when you think of like what's the earliest camera you can imagine? Like that's what it looks like with the you know bellows and all that stuff, um, and uh, and it's held together by like duct tape and gum now. I mean, it's like so old, but. Uh, um, and he uh, he made these these photographs of his dad starting kind of he said he talks about it in the film um, he, he made these photographs by making appointments with his father to visit with him because there was something off about him and he, he seemed maybe a little depressed or um, but there was something there was something different about him and he was changing and he and so the family knew it and I'm not even sure when it was when it started if the term Alzheimer's it certainly wasn't um, you know, in vogue or people didn't, uh, people weren't, you know, talking about it in that way. So it's kind of like, okay, dementia or his mental illness or depression, like they, it was hard to kind of parse at that point. And then, and then it kind of came flooding in, um, kind of during this diagnosis of, of all these headlines and, and it being in the news. But, um, 
so Stephen started going like weekly, you know, to visit his dad and, and take a photograph with him. And, and he, sometimes Stephen would be in the film and or in the photograph and sometimes it would be, you know, just his dad. And then, um, you know, they'd go to Boynton Beach and they're in a summer little summer house and, and then you know, taking pictures down there and, and you know, just fought, any, anywhere he was, he would visit him and, and photograph him. And that would be this long project of his. And right like right now he's doing like COVID stuff. Like he's taking pictures of, of Worcester you know, during COVID and he's like very diligent. He visited my classroom and took a picture, you know. So he just does this every day. He's a doc. I mean, really is a documentary photographer in the truest sense of the word. But um, so the film is this, you know, and then his father, you know, his, his father gradually, I mean, the, the decline um, is, is pronounced as it often is by stroke. Um, and in this case, two strokes um, and then a move to a nursing home, a pretty abrupt move to a nursing home. And uh, but it was a 20 year you know, process between, you know, when he started doing it, when he finally passed away. So um so the film is, even though it's a short film, it, it's a it's like this twenty year span, um, you know, contained in these twenty years, contained in these twenty nine minutes, um, about Stephen documenting his dad's decline and eventual passing from Alzheimer's. I mean, it's a, when you say Alzheimer's, it doesn't really, it's not going to have a good ending. Like he even said that during the interview, he's like, once you say that word, like people know where it's going. It's not, you know, so it's maybe that kind of prepares them for it, but. But I've been, I mean, I've been like bowled over by how how positive the reactions have been. Mostly, I mean, it's it's funny when Marcus mentioned that somebody criticized my father's Vietnam. Um, I don't even I don't even have like a good recollection of what the tweet was. I remember talking to you about it or something, or I remember somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't remember exactly. It was just like a harmless movie. It was just like a yeah, weird, yeah, like it, it did like, need to be said. And then like I think you quote tweeted and just like yeah, it's harmless. It was just something along those lines. Yeah, it's kind of, you could have just said nothing. Honestly, <laughs> it was that it's, it's yeah. that kind of thing. It's sort of coming back to me. Like I'm, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about now. Though, but it's, but I don't. People don't. Yeah, people kind of go out of their way. I think you know, with social media. It's, it's so easy, especially to do on it. Twitter. Yeah. When, yeah, especially yeah. when it comes to movie stuff, and especially when it, I, I found you know the movie people are definitely on Twitter, not so much on Facebook, not yeah. so much on no, Instagram. They're, they're, they're definitely on Twitter. They're on Twitter, and and we're starting to like. I feel like. I think our podcast is starting to do pretty good. I sure. think it, and um, the analytics are suggesting. So, like, people are interacting with our tweets more. And yeah. I have to text Marcus to be like, dude, this person's coming out their neck. I'm going to, I'm just going to say something mean. And Marcus <laughs> is like, your whole thing is that you don't say mean things to people on the internet. And I'm you like, can't you're change right. your persona. You're right. <laughs> yeah. This, is, this yeah. is not what I want to do. And yeah, like like the and I know and, and I know the thing Scott can say like I anyone who's listening knows I'll go back and forth with someone if they make a sideways comment but I I, I don't like to get mean I save the mean comments for Scott like sure. when it's just me and him like in our text <laughs> yeah. like yeah. we've said some of the most vile things you know but it's between us it's, right but yeah. I know I, I don't want Scott to say certain things that I know that he could say so no like, I mean it's hard not to don't. I mean sometimes it's nice to just write a really mean tweet but not send it yeah. it's just it, it I mean, almost feels just oh I can't good. see yeah. I can't do that <laughs> it ends up getting sent I can't yeah, yeah, no you're like that, this is beautiful you're right but not for me but I, I unfortunately I don't have that Marcus, like or an angry email like a really yeah. long angry email no, and just not send what it. I do is I write notes and I keep them because if I put it in an email form I'm probably sending the email that's what I'm saying if it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too easy. But yeah. if I write it in a note, then it is a then it is um, therapeutic, and you know I just want people to listen. Like, yes, Marcus and I, our private texts do have like rough stuff, but Marcus and I have been close friends, supporting each other through 
no question some of the most difficult shit of our life yeah and what friends talk about publicly and how they do it is just how they do it and it is true like y'all don't want mean scott you don't you really don't (laughs) you don't it's not good it's just i'm trust me i'm an only child i'm a scorpio and i'm mean if i want to like when people are like are you a good person are you a nice person i'm like no and they get surprised because they're like you do all these nice things and i'm like because i'm constantly trying to not be a bad person yeah yeah i mean that's but that's not that helps though you know i I, i'm I'm sort of i have i have another one of my close colleagues that i spoke about earlier uh rock sommer is is their name and and um uh they was they once said to that i was like the most relaxed or the most chill member of the program or something like that and i told i told my wife carrie that and she just laughed you know she's like you're not relaxed like you're the opposite of that you know so you do there's a lot of overcompensation in your public the way that you you appear in public or the way that you try to appear in public yeah oh that's so funny like at work every place i've worked my co-workers are always like marcus you never get mad or they'll just forget (laughs) i'm in the room like mark you know and then like and then like now that i'm working from home you know just stuff like i i work with various 3d programs and cad and all Mm. this stuff and now it's because i'm at home i'm not around i'm like god damn it shit yeah Fuck, like yeah. all day and then my wife is like you do that all day you didn't do that at work did you and i was like no 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 no, because no. i'm conscious that i'm around people but now i'm like I'm, yeah i'm home i'm by myself i can get all the little spurts even though it's not healthy yeah it's just yeah, yeah. but you, it's very you fun. just yeah. got married too right like, like in february. february no no right it, it feels COVID, like right. that yeah, it feels like that yeah i know yeah. It, it, it feels like that's such a long time ago but yeah, yeah. No, it hasn't even been a year well congratulations yeah that, thank I, you i remember you. i remember hearing about that on social media but then when i was i was sitting down i was like it must have been last year because of covid but yeah so you got yeah, in right we in like wire, just yeah, made yeah. the mark yeah and, and our honeymoon as well and, yeah. and we went to french oh, polynesia nice. so it was oh, like yeah. multiple and, and just that this was february yeah they, they they started to screen they started to do the temperature chest yeah. Uh, te- yeah checks when Ugh. we were there and then and, that, and here now you we are can't, you can't go out to a restaurant now <laughs> you're newlyweds no. and you're not allowed to go to the restaurant exactly <laughs> terrific <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I've been mean, just getting back again, like to the sort of audience reactions and stuff like that. Like, so I, I was able, I was lucky to be able to sort of show it to my peers, like my grad school um, classmates um, in, in Montpelier, Vermont, uh, uh, last October. So two, you know, a year ago. And, um, and it was, it was just so, so gratifying. And also just like the amount of tears and the amount of kind of emotion in the audience um, and then, and then also feeling that at Clark university when they, they showed like a work in progress version of it, um, yeah. uh, at the humanities there. So, and that was just, again, wonderful. It was just like right before COVID started, it was like, you know, in February and, you know, it was like, I remember, I remember even being sick. It's like a cold that I remember. Cause I was like, it was right before COVID, you know, everybody has that. Like I was, I was really sick in February. Like everyone has that story, but, um, but yeah, so, so it's, and then getting into festivals has been strange, obviously, um, because they're mostly remote. I was in an in-person screening at Mystic Film Festival, um, a couple of days ago, actually. Uh, and it was, it was great, but it was just very strange. And it was in a very strange place it's called the Velvet Mill in Stonington, Connecticut, um, but you know, it was, it was nice and we took home an award and you know, it was, they had a lovely kind of award ceremony at mystic luxury cinemas. I love the word luxury in the name of a business. Huh. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but, but it, so that's been, that's been really sort of because of COVID been really strange and kind of certainly not tragic, but slightly disappointing that you can't, you know, travel around. And now I have this job where I have a little bit of a travel budget. So if I had gotten into these festivals on, on a, in a different situation, I'd be like, you know, flying around and 
going with the film to places and stuff. But you know, it it might be finding a larger audience as a result of it streaming anyway. So I'm 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 really sort of you know grateful. Yeah, man, it's awesome. Yeah, and I think the the difficult about the subject, especially of Alzheimer's and different types of dementia, is that there really is no cure, and medicine doesn't help a lot. The medicine that you could do might slow things down, but it doesn't, you know what I mean? So when you get that diagnosis, it can be, this acceptance is really very difficult for everyone involved. And yeah, I just, I just like the way that the movie tells that story and, and how it does it. And it's kind and it's, it's artistic because I don't like, for me, I don't like a documentary just because the subject is good. Mm. Like I need, I need it to be a good movie too. Mm-hmm. And it is. And um, did you ever read A Very Easy Death by Simone de Boivier? No. Well, you know, like Simone de Boivier, she's like, um, you know, classic French writer, part of mm. like the existential movement, had a relation with Sartre. Um, and when her mother was dying, she wrote like a daily diary about the experience of her mother passing away, like her mother getting sick and yeah. then her living with her mother and then her mother dying and then her burying her mother. Wow. And it's insanely good. It's one of the, it's considered one of her masterworks. Uh, I read it a long time ago when I was getting into the idea of end of life therapy and to get ready for the podcast today, I listened to it on an audiobook. Oh, cool. Cause I'm dedicated to this shit. Motherfuckers. I am. Sounds like it. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm, I really like care about all of this. Like, like even if I sound sometimes like in space, I do research for every episode. I'm, I'm in it. So I, I took a jog and I finished it. And I think that's why I was in a bad mood too. <laughs> Cause like, it's not like hap- It's, it's rough. Like losing parents is not easy. Yeah. And, um, you know, she basically says at the end, you do not die from being born. You die from something. Mm. And like that, that bugged me out. And then there's like, you ever read a uh, year of extraordinary thinking by Joan Didion? No, but I, I know, I know what you're talking about on that one for sure. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like this year that her husband, spoiler alert, if you didn't read this Pulitzer prize winning book from 2004, <laughs> um, not, I'm not sure if it was 2004, but it's like that. And, um, you know, her husband is dying and he dies and then and then out of nowhere her daughter dies at the end of the book. And it's a mm. nonfiction story and it's written by Joan Didion, who's like one of the greatest writers of our generation. And and um I'm the only person that liked the the uh adaptation of the last thing he would have wanted. Mm. Um it was it, I don't think it was Marcus's least favorite movie this year, but <laughs> definitely not in his top ten. Yeah. And I think I think I'm the only person. But yeah, there's the, there's this way of documenting <coughs> there's this way of documenting these things that need, in my opinion needs to be delicate and thoughtful. For sure. Yeah. I mean, 
and it's and it's a subject. I mean, it's I mean, it's so corny to say, but it's it's universal. So everybody has these stories, and the, and like you like you said earlier, the older you get, the closer you're going to be to somebody that has either lost their life or they're in the process of of you know deteriorating from some ailment. And and it's every family. It's not nobody escapes it. It's not kind of this graceful thing. And you can you can discuss whether it's good to go suddenly or that you know it's good to have a terminal illness where you can say goodbye 14 times and you, know, you can parse that until you're blue in the face but it is extremely difficult um for everybody and extremely different for everybody and and everybody mourns differently you know so so I, you know i was in boston um when 9-11 happened and i remember being like mad that people were at this bar playing pool and they were like watching cnn was on the tvs and the you know with the towers going down over and over and over again and you just kind of like what are these people playing pool for and meanwhile i'm there having a drink too so it's like you know i think i think it's like you you said it sensitivity is the thing to sort of treat it with like and if you have if you actually respect it and you actually think about it and read about it as you clearly have and thought about it um deeply then then you then you appreciate you know work that that treats it sensitively and um you know that's what that's what i'm trying to do here for sure yeah and marcus what did you think about it oh i mean i thought it, and you know not, not not to plug but like go to pinland empire to check out my uh the 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 words that i wrote about you know with with dad um going back to what you're saying too about just well I don't know if sensitivity was the word you used, but I think the photography in the film kind of hammered home the kind of like gentleness, the sensitivity that kind of mixed well with this kind of like harsh, you know, sad subject matter, which, you know, I I definitely, you know, like I'm I'm not going to curse you. Dignity and integrity. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, I'm not going to curse you like like, like Scott did, although I (laughs) I get why. Like seeing a parent like slowly past there's like so many weird emotions that kind of come with it now it didn't take now my mother it wasn't as long as the subject in the film but it's still just like over the course of a couple of months and you get all, all these kind of weird things happen where you just like you're just waiting for this thing this terrible thing to happen but then you go about your regular life it it, it did it, it brought up so many like weird emotions you know like mm. um and, and and it wasn't alzheimer's you know just, just to be clear but just still that like elongated process of just kind of uh, it, 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 it's almost in, 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 indescribable and, and it's weird I'm trying to use my words carefully because like the movie felt like a feature length film even mm. though like you said it's under 30 minutes but I meant I mean it in a good way you know what mm. I mean like when something like oh the movie drags it lasts forever like no yeah. it just felt like a two hour movie but in a good way yeah you know because so much information is in there but it's not squeezed in like you know like in, in 30 minutes there's so much going on but it doesn't feel like two hours inside of a thir- of thirty minutes. You, yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah, I mean a lot of that space is because of um, who I who I mentioned before, Nina Davenport. Um, you know, this is somebody that really taught me about you know, you know, giving the giving the character spaces to breathe, giving the audience some some respite from it. You know, and and those are things that like I, I tend to I tend to make and I tend to like kind of dense films and and dense meaning like they're talky or they're or they they're packed with a lot of material. So. Um, and probably because I was not uh, trained. I mean, I was just c- coming from like listening to NPR a lot. Like I was sort of a news junkie between 2000 and 2006. And I was listening to pod before, you know, podcasts or whatever. I was, but I was listening to, you know, This American Life and, and, and shows like that. And um, even like The Takeaway, like I was just like an NPR guy. Like I just listened to NPR all the time. So it was like it was a journalistic impulse at first. But then you realize pretty quickly, especially in the early 2000s when I was first being exposed to like, 
Alan Berliner and you know the, the Ross McElwee and uh, you know just, you and then you know Errol Morris and uh, Werner Herzog and like all the usual suspects kind of that you're mm. you realize that this is this is actually a tradition that that's separate from journalism and it's actually self-expression and it's, it doesn't follow rules and it's you know there's a lot of ways to go with these kind of stories um, so yeah I mean I uh, I also think that it's really it's really wild to kind of you know be able to dip into something like this and not having experienced it um you know on uh, you know but as i said it is universal like i lost an aunt recently who um was was you know sick with cancer for a long time but you know mm. and, and and if it wasn't for covid like i would have been there you know in the lead up or at least the, the direct aftermath to help my cousins and my uncle with stuff because we're all really close and we see each other once a year and um, in fact, my, my cousin did the you know graphic design for my father's Vietnam. And he, he always collaborates with me on stuff. He's a he's an art director down in Dallas. But nice. um, you know, it's like kind of a that's like a, a an extra layer of kind of you know again like you're you, you're not permitted to be there to to help somebody out and not not to hold hands and cry necessarily, but like pick up groceries and just like <laughs> you know help out with the logistics because there's all this kind of stuff that falls by the wayside when somebody yeah. is, is in that and situation. Shit, yeah. Yo, yeah. you guys just got me yeah. extra messed up because yeah. like think about it. You know, so many people this year mm. lost their loved ones, like having their last conversations on telephones. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sorry, you, you, yeah. I just, it was just a thought. Uh, ooh, yeah. this, you know, and I just think about like, I don't wish for much in how I end, but I, I, I don't want it to be, I don't want to be alone and I don't want to be scared. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you, I think about, all these people this year that you know had their last conversation with their loved ones over the phone that weren't allowed to be near their loved ones or, yeah. or were forced to you know die in waiting rooms because they didn't have enough beds you know oh, man. Yeah. COVID is real and if you think it isn't please never listen to this podcast ever again I am <laughs> not interested Mm. I don't want to debate you. <laughs> Done. Done. Yeah. Um, and just imagine the logistics of like having Alzheimer's or dementia right now. Yeah. And all like being in a nursing home for anything. I mean, being in a nursing home yeah. is already really difficult. Yeah. But imagine like the difficulty of like maybe not having access to your loved ones and like not re not really understanding anything anyway and be like why are people wearing masks and what's going on and yeah 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 it's it's it is it's it's like um it's really difficult uh, you know to to parse like i said and and it, and it it does cause kind of like dark you know kind of darker thoughts and and um you know you know i'm in therapy right now and have been diagnosed with uh, with moderate clinical depression and so like the but but I, w I wouldn't say that like work like this or thoughts like this cause that. I think they just no. match up with what my demeanor is in some ways. Or like a confront. It's like people. I love horror movies, right? So it's like in, in a way, like I want. I always wonder like why that is. And 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 when I get down to it, it's like well, it confirms my worldview. It's like we should all be afraid, kind of. You know, it's like oh, wow. there, there's like this really kind of dark undercurrent going on where you that you don't see much of in you know in, in in kind of conventional filmmaking and, and and even just making a short is sort of an odd thing and a 29 minute film is a very odd length it's kind of a long short like you just said so um you, you know I, and and this is all to say nothing again of maybe not 
tragedy, but like this whole industry that we're talking about right now is collapsing um, before our very eyes, not just movie theaters, but like filmmaking in general and people trying to break into this industry as cinematographers or younger editors or trying to go into visual effects or whatever it is they're having an extremely difficult time and I know this well because I these are my my students are graduating into this and I'm like well what do I do for a job and I was like I have no idea you know you start calling yeah start calling uh, contacts and trying to get internships and stuff and it's like not much out there um right now and 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 I don't know what that means I mean I've heard different takes about well this is going to be good for independent cinema because you know, people are going to have to make smaller films. It's kind of like the music business. It's like there are going to be more local stuff going on and more uh, cinemas are going to be more playing older movies and that's that's what we should be doing and we should have film series and stuff. And New York does that anyway. So, um, But, like, throughout the country, there are these places, you know, there's places with, like, we talk about, like, food deserts. This is, like, cinema deserts, right? There's, there's no, there is no, there aren't local cinemas. There aren't any, there's no place for somebody to enjoy, like, a, a Hitchcock series of films or something like that. So, maybe mom and pop things open up and, and stuff bounces back in a, in a different way. But, uh, but I have a lot of friends that are, that are struggling now, not only in filmmaking, but in, in live event, um, you know, in the music business as well. So. Yeah. Oh man. That's yeah. a lot to take in. Yeah. Ma- mainly just like, I, I was just more focused on these like graduating students. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my, my, my students just made this, uh, the, they were making a horror movie um, called Meridian uh, in the spring of, of this, of this year, the spring semester um, of 2020. And, so they went home on March 13th or whatever it was. Clark closed up and everybody's remote. So so yeah. production got shut down. And they were really close to finishing. They had a couple scenes to finish. And this is like, for a student film, like really high level. And that that's a really odd length film too. It's like 45 minutes long. It's like it's like mid-length film. There aren't that many right. festivals that do that. But um, but they, they did an incredible job. But like they, they like pushed through it through the summer. And they like got together, like four or five of them, and kept shooting it and kept and rewrote the ending. And they did location shooting and all this stuff were wearing masks the whole time i was there like kind of chaperoning because it was like we, we ended up on a, a, a you know a parent's friend's property in uh, in connecticut shooting it and it was just it, crazy like how, how well they did and now we've got this screening this weekend at clark that's of course not open to the public but it's like we're, we're screening it outside and i'm just thrilled to even get four of them to come back um yeah. alums and i got permission and they're getting tested and all that stuff but it's um, you know that's it, that's been really nice to, to see them come back and be excited about the film playing because you, then you remember what you originally started making art for when you're a kid or you're sure. in your teens you're like there's joy in this you know regardless of what the subject matter is and by the way regardless of the circumstances so you can still do this um, without an industry and you can do this like separate from you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whatever it is that's controlling <laughs> the yeah. Disney Plus or whatever it is so. Right, and we're not even seeing, like, they decided to not even release the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a weird year. Like, Oscar like Oscar shows, end of year stuff is going to be really wild. I mean, it's just, like... Just give everything to Eliza Hittman and we're good. <laughs> I also just want to say, like, I like that this movie is 30 minutes because I just think that was the amount of time it told to, took to tell the story. yeah. And yeah. forcing it into being a feature length, just I don't I don't know. It's just really right at thirty minutes. Yeah, it it, it feels right at thirty minutes. And I, and and WGBH in, in Boston uh, offered to acquire it um, recently and and kind of during the festival thing and um, and so I, I'm hoping that it ends up as a PBS half hour because it sort of Perfect. feels like it would be at home yeah. for that. And GBH is in Boston and, and Dorado's from you know lives in Worcester from Marlboro. Um, so it's it is very much a New England or Massachusetts film. I was just getting ready to say this is such a this is 
been such an awesome New England centric uh, mm. podcast. I'm talking about you know Massachusetts, Worcester, yeah. Connecticut. You know, <laughs> in case in case you guys didn't know, I'm from Amherst, Massachusetts. I know you. Are. I feel That's like right. I, I, yeah. I I don't say that enough. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I have pretty fond memories of Amherst. I, I like playing. I, I think I played shows there, and I saw I saw Quicksand play there. I was really into punk and hardcore when I was in my teens and stuff too. So mm-hmm. I remember going to see shows at at UMass. Um, you know when I was younger. But nice. Yeah, yeah. So I really like West Hampton. Not West Hampton. Uh, Northampton. Northampton. Yeah, it's Northampton is well, awesome. Like, yeah, it's I beautiful. do like West Hampton in Long Island, but um, Northampton. Me and my partner spend many uh vaca- we just love spending a couple days out there nice and and i hope uh this is like I, this fuck the saddest podcast we've ever done <laughs> i hope thorns is okay as soon as you said that i'm like god i hope they stay in business i really hope Such Sweetie, a, i hope yeah. sweeties is okay yeah yeah oh what's and also what's that hash house that i really like oh sylvester's yeah mm. yeah i hope sylvester's is still open yeah because oh man I like it. I like it there too. That's a it's a really great place. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird to not travel. Like we just like, and then having the kids go from like in person to remote and 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 not knowing what the next day is going to be. But it's basically like a facsimile of what today was. And it's kind of yeah. It's a, sure. it's a really it's a it is a strange time for sure. Um, and you and, and everybody's house is too small. Suddenly you know we have all this space and then like we're all on top of each other. Okay, yeah, this, this, yeah. Yeah, this apartment Sweeties we're in is doing yeah. all right. I just checked. Oh, <laughs> good, good. We, I mean, we we've been my wife and I. Occasionally, we'll drive out to Long Island to be with the the in laws, her her parents. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And they have this like big, huge. Do- like we're we're always so excited to kind of get out of Queens for. Yeah. But that's like the only that that. But still, it's like Queens as you know, to quote how hardly simple men. Queens is a part of Long Island, so it's kind of like yeah. Well, yeah. It's not like we're going that that far. Like we're still on the same terminal moraine. Uh, even when 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 we travel, but I forgot that you like Hal Hartley. Like I was Love. just talking about, yeah, I do too. I, I I forgot. Um, I think we were texting about this at some point. Um, I was just talking about truth and um, and oh, unbelievable truth and trust. Unbelievable um, truth and trust. The other day, yeah, movies. I love them. Love them. Yeah. Have you ever perfect. seen Have you ever seen The Living End? The, yeah, of course, uh, Greg Araki. So, of course. so so we we did a talk. We did like a Zoom talk last night. My, this this colleague that I mentioned um, uh, earlier rocks. Um, they hosted this, um, we're hosting this thing called Unteachable Films. And th- these are films that are so kind of, they're so problematic in some way or so difficult to parse that we sort of deemed them unteachable. Of course, they're teachable and they're taught, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, right. we just kind of call it that for the students and, and they kind of, they get to go and hear us talk about these sort of transgressive films and stuff and, and, um, and oh, for different cool. reasons. And yeah, so we were watching this this Living End and, and, and I had seen it in the mid-90s because I worked at a video store in Boston um, uh, in, on Newbury Street in, in the back bay, actually. Um, and... Uh, and I remember seeing it there because it was owned by um, by a same sex couple, um, and so there was a gay and lesbian section in the in the in the video store. So I remember we, we would take films out because it was like there were all kinds of cult movies in there, and they had like cruising in there. It was bizarre. It was like a, such a weird section. Um, sure. But but um, you know, and and I, re- I remember I was watching The Living End, and it we- weirdly really reminded me of of trust and unbelievable truth in the sort of way that the dialogue is stilted, but it's like still it still really has a lot of realism in it, like. I can I don't see know that. If that's for something sure. that reminds you. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about that. I didn't it, think yeah. of, until you just. I never even. I mean, I, I just you know, there's especially early Hal Hartley. There's like a calming kind of you know monotone, mm. obviously presence, and like the Living End is kind of this like I'm using air quotes like reckless movie. Like yes. just just yeah. the premise. Yeah, of, he said of, it was of, an of, irresponsible of, movie. Of, of, right? I mean, his yeah, movies yeah, yeah, like yeah. Doom Generation. Yeah, hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
I remember watching the Doom Generation because someone was like, "It's like, it's like you know, Pulp Fiction," and I, mm. you know, because I was like, whatever. Well, at that time, everything was like, everyone yeah, was like, right. Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. You know, I was like thirteen, and I was like, "This is nothing like Pulp Fiction. <laughs> this is just like, if anything, it's closer to Natural Born Killers, but it's like Dadaist Natural Born Killers, or like existential." Does Doom Generation? Did Doom Generation come out the same year as Natural Born Killers? Um, no, Living End was ninety two. Was ninety two. Yeah. And I can't remember. Oh, that's a good. Qu- it had to have been close. It yeah, was like early mid nineties, right? Yeah, yeah. Doom so, Generation, and, and, I think, yeah. was nineteen ninety five. And Natural Born Killers was ninety four. But it, you know, it's also funny. You you did the the Iraqi Hartley because they were like because you know Simple Men was ni- oh, 1994. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Like, Simple Men was 92, Poison was 91, so there was mm. this period where a lot of those films, lo- those names, like Todd Haynes, Hal Hartley, Gregor Rocky, yeah, yeah. were like associated with, with each other. E- e- even, you know, so- Soderbergh to some extent, but he sure. kind of went, you know, a different lane. And that's not a... Di- I-, I love Soderbergh. No, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, and they, they all went different. I'm Todd Haynes, definitely. And they all went in different ways, but it's like, I, yeah. I think there's something... I just have such a soft spot for that because, you know, working at a video store when, you know, around that time, and Pulp Fiction's 94 as well, so like... You know, when those movies came out, working in a video store was like super exciting because it was like there was this glut of kind of 16 millimeter and, and you know, smaller than, than Pulp Fiction, obviously. But like these little films that come, came out under the radar and were fabulous. And they were and they were like the beginnings of a lot of directors careers and even Kevin Smith, like the clerks and all that stuff. Well, and he, Hal Hartley's um, shouted out in the credits for clerks. Oh, no um, kidding. I didn't know. that. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, look at how I mean, Randall and Dante talk yeah. to each yeah. other. There's yeah. just I mean, there's a bit more of a pulse, but it's very sure. much that that early how hartley long island you know talk and That's i always why. felt bad for i always felt bad for like how hartley too because like he made amateur and that came out around the same time as pulp fiction mm. but like from what i understand like he didn't he had no clue what pulp fiction was but then this movie it's like amateur it's like these ragtag group of people yeah. different stories that come together there's these two hitmen. Yeah. the alina lowenson's character has like the anna karina hair just like uma thurman does like there, there, there's a lot of like coincidental things and that movie yeah. kind of got shot on the door. And it yeah, was like and, yeah. an early Isabel Huppert English uh, film, you know, that she was in. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a, and also just the, the idea that they, and they started kind of hearkening back to the seventies stuff, you know, and that was the, that was the sort of one of the major times where equipment was getting smaller and cheaper and you could, you know, you could get a camera package for next to nothing and the, you know, the gear didn't weigh too much and you could kind of put a camera where it shouldn't be. And it was, you know, so I, I that's why I kind of like that decade as well. You know, like just going back, it's kind of um, it's hard not to sort of love that kind of stuff, like Altman and, and Scorsese and stuff like that. Sure. You know, these, these gigantic people in the seventies, obviously, but um, but I like I love the Living End. I mean, it was sort of you you get you know what it is, but as long as you settle into it, you know, then then it's like well, well I'm not bothered by either the, that these performances don't match or that the dialogue's tilted or anything like that because the cinematography is beautiful and it's a completely original kind of film especially if you're a straight cis you know male identifying person you're watching this film it's like I'm, i've never seen anything like this this is, this is yeah, same or, or like a right. teenager yeah, yeah same yeah so i'm just yeah i'm just accepting whatever's being presented to me like you 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 present to me what the rules of this universe mm. are and i will do my best to enjoy myself Absolutely. You know, I only yeah. care about verisimilitude if the story says that I need to. Sure. Then I'm yeah. gonna. Then I, then like, like me and Marcus will be like, oh, like there's a movie that we're not gonna talk about, but Marcus was like, 
that's not a real drum machine. That's a MIDI controller, you know? Like, <laughs> but if you accept huh. that in this world it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So That's funny. Yeah. yeah, well, that's where my eye goes. It's like uh, I always yeah. take this opportunity. In, in, in the social network, given the timeline, there's a DJ who's using Serato to yeah. DJ, and Serato yeah. hadn't been invented <laughs> at that time. But that's, you know, I just yeah. happen to look at the DJ's laptop screen because that's, you know. Yeah, yeah the, the, it's a the, the, those things are weird, like the authenticity question and how many kind of narrative continuity errors you can have and and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, but I, it does kind of go out the window if you're not a specialist and you're and you're not really paying attention to it. You know, if you're looking where you're supposed to look or where the filmmaker wants you to look. Um, I mean, you know, listen for, for those <laughs> for those of you listen. If you go back and watch the movie Juice, the tape that he records in his bedroom, the scratching he does, and when he submits it. And then, like, Queen Latifah plays it. It's not even the same scratches that he was doing. <laughs> and it was just, like, two scenes ago. What so that's how much... Uh, what was the single happened? from Juice that with that scratch pattern? That without, like, eh, chicka eh, that, that Oh, thing. that's, um, yeah, uh, Know the Ledge. Eric yeah, B. and yeah, Rakim. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Eric B. That's right. Yeah, I remember Well, that. well, it, it wasn't Eric B. I'll just it wasn't? leave it at the no. Oh, okay. No. So, so I, I'm, I'm not... It, 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 it's a kind of various... Like, sometimes Rakim did the scratching. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Doctor Butcher, a uh, legendary X Men, uh, did 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 some of the scratching. Yeah. He was just kind of a, he had the money. Like Eric B and Rakim kind of fronted everything. So but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And almost like pretty much all the beats from Don't Sweat the Technique are large professor, large professor, and yeah. like you can just listen to it. And it's I didn't even know that that was a secret. I was just used to assume because because uh, I knew that he was in the studio with them and right. the horn samples and the drum samples and like. It sounds like Large Professor beats. Yeah. And Large Professor is probably my favorite of that era. Not my favorite beat maker of all time. But of mm. that era, like his beats get the fangs out for me. Sure. Mm. Um, so I, and it's still, I don't remember yet if it's like open yet, openly admitted, but just how like they finally uh, let that said G was working on. Um, uh, Boogie Down Productions uh, critical breakdown. No. Mm. Yeah, no, it, it, it all came out. I mean, it was known before, but Marley Marl said, said the, on, on an old Combat Jack uh, ep- episode, he yeah, told the I whole just, story. I so. just said a whole bunch of crazy things. Like, yeah, I think some <laughs> folks listening right now are like, what? Sorry, guys. So, critical beatdown is the debut album from Ultramagnetic MCs, um, and the most famous of Ultra Magnetics MCs is Cool Keith. The producer was said G. Okay, mm. what I meant to say is that he is now canonically given that he produced most of Criminal Minded by Boogie Down Productions, but at yeah. the time they just said that he helped, whatever yeah. that meant. Sure. But because I'm now thinking of all of my loved ones dying and all this really heavy stuff right now, my my knowledge for facts right now is a little off. Yeah, that happens, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, do you, thanks, you guys both? Do you, thanks, sorry. Soren. 
Yeah, it's my fault. I, I take the never vinyl. coming back to you again. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. You're Just banned. Kidding. Do you do you both? Do you guys both collect vinyl? Do you both collect records? Not anymore. No, oh, yeah, okay. not not anymore. I yeah. have like the, the I have a couple of important crates that are at my yeah. other like that are at my family's house that yeah. in, in another part of Queens in the basement. But no, plus yeah. like this. I mean, my wife wants to get rid of my DVDs and Blu-rays, yeah, so I, yeah. I couldn't bring my my, my records. No, I, I, I mean I collections. If you live in New York, I mean, I, yeah, I lived in Brooklyn for eight years, um, and in a lot of different neighborhoods like i lived in park slope and crown heights and prospect heights and williamsburg and um and 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 the size of the places i mean even even if i was making three times as much money as i was making it would have been too small to 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 have a record collection and especially that i'm accumulating them all the time so um but i don't yeah i don't buy nearly as many as i used to or have and and i kind of i try to keep it to a a manageable amount so that it's not you know yeah kind of ridiculous i'll buy something every little once in a while yeah yeah and the, and the good thing about my job is that I don't like I don't buy DVDs and Blu-rays now because we have a resource library. So if I want to get a Criterion sure. thing or whatever, like they'll get it and I can I can borrow it for as long as I want, kind oh, of thing. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So hopefully I can hang on to that job until I'm you know well into my sixties and right. watch whatever <laughs> I want to. But um, yeah, I have these. I have a bunch of boxes of DVDs and Blu-rays, and they're, we haven't even unpacked them because st- everything's streaming, and I, I've never had you know that you know a difficult time finding what I want to watch. So. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was just curious about that because I, I have a good friend in, um, in Brooklyn now and he's in a two bedroom with two kids, cool. um, young kids and, and he has a giant record collection. I'm like, where, oh, do, you put it, where do you put your records? Like, take a picture of that for me, you know? So, yeah. I've, I've been lucky over the years. Cause like where my dad's side of the family's from in St. Albans, it's like a neighbor, it's Queens, but it's like, it looks, it's like the suburbs almost. So there's like, there's an entire basement. So stuff from high school, college, yeah, or like yeah. America, like music equipment that I want but I can't set yeah, up right yeah. now is all in the basement. Like half the basement downstairs is like just my stuff sure, from over yeah. the years, and, and it's just like free store. I don't have to yeah. pay for it storage space. So I used to play. I used to. I, I've never. I've never scratched or anything like that. But I used to play like every once in a while. I'd play like a, a New Year's Eve stuff, and like um, I worked at a at a restaurant in Soho called Balthazar. Do you guys know Balthazar? Yes. No. Yeah. So oh, I, it's like I, a brasserie style. Yeah. He, he owns he owns Schiller's and he owns uh, Pastis and you know Minetta Tavern and stuff. So. Um, I used to. When do did you to, work at Mineta Tavern? I didn't work at Mineta. I worked at Balthazar between okay. 2005 and 2010. Um, okay. And I worked at Schiller's and Pastis before that. Yeah, yeah. You know? But, do you uh, know? Do you know Probe? I don't think so. Mike Boucher? No. I don't think so. No. Okay. You yeah, know. they have a lot of employees among those restaurants for sure. But I'm still friends with a lot of people that, that are doing it, and that, that's another thing. Like my the restaurant business. Like my brother, uh, my my cousin is is uh, you know the GM or he's the director of operations for this place in Tribeca and they're doing, he said they're doing like 15% of their normal business. And it's yeah. like, I, I don't know how anybody's surviving doing, doing that kind of stuff. And, it, and my, you know, my heart goes out to him. Um, it's, it's like brutal right now doing that kind of business, but he seems to be muddling through. But, um, we can't seem to take this uh, into, into positive territory and stay there for any time. <laughs> huh. <laughs> um, I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah, no, no, I am too. I was like, you, you collect records. I'm trying to keep it like you know as, <laughs> as light as possible. <laughs> and I got into my, my you know employment woes of my family members. <laughs> what, what are you looking forward to this year? In in the rest of this year, like yeah. November and December. Oh, or man. What, I don't know. Time is or or, or 2021. Yeah. You know, yeah. stuff yeah. stuff coming up. Um, I, I I guess you know I don't I'm not gonna say the election because I don't think that's gonna gonna help. <laughs> I don't, no. I'm 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 not I'm not bullish about that, and so um, you know I so it's it is it's it's kind of a dark time, and it's like not 
the, I remember when we when we closed in March, I, I, where I work, and it was like I, the day before. I was like, we're not closing. Is it? You can't close. You know, it's like it's like this ship can't sink. It's like the Titanic line, um, and and you know. So I now it's like we're we're thinking about well, what is it going to be the fall of next year as well? Like how how long is this going to go on where yeah. you know things are compromised and are people going to still study art like in next year? Like and so. Are there going to be students in my classes, and are they going to need me to work there? You know, so um, I, I don't know. I, I I'm not looking forward to. I mean, yeah, not a lot right this second. I gotta say, um, I'm excited about the Godfather Three re-release. I'm, I really want to know what you know, a couple of minutes that they cut from that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being facetious. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen the Godfather Three since man, like since it came out. Probably. What, what year did it come out? Was it 92, 93, early 90s? So I saw it in the mid-90s, yeah. So I'm trying to think of like a movie or something that's coming out that I really want to see. If if I could suggest, I have any opportunity. uh, Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round. That's probably not, with Mads Mikkelsen, it's probably not going to come out until next year, but it's like, it's such a good movie. I mean, them two together just don't miss. It's two, they're two for sure. I don't know if you saw The Hunt. Oh, I love The Hunt, yeah. Yeah, well, you're good. I mean, it's a different, it's definitely... Oh, this is from the same person, yeah. but it's not this. Yeah. It, it's different t- territory. A lot of this, uh, almost the same cast, but different, very di- different ter- territory, though. Yeah, it, it's. Yeah. I, I haven't. I saw it at, at Toronto. I watched it twice in less than forty-eight hours, and I just couldn't. Wow. I just can't stop thinking about oh, it. Oh, it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, so yeah. Look out for that. Yeah, there, sure. there are like there's some there's some stuff coming out that I'm looking forward to. I think, and it's like. I, but I, I do, I'm sort of like, I, I'm so bogged down right now with this Omar Sosa thing that I'm doing, this this other film. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I spend, like, if I have time, like, I'll go down and, and, and work and I have a little space in the basement. But, um, you know, it's it's a lot of, like, this guy's career is still going and he puts out a record a year. And it's, like, really hard to think about structure when he this guy never stops. And it's like... Um, you know, so I've got a lot of good material and, and that, you know, I like to say, I, I sort of have no business being a filmmaker if I can't make something out of this. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly but surely kind of dragging it across the finish line. But when I, if I sit down to watch something, a lot of the time, you know, it will be something that I've seen a million times or cause it's Halloween. I'm hearing like, you know, interviews with people about the exorcist or kind of top five, top 10 horror movies, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'll, I'll revisit stuff that I really like because I do I do like horror movies a lot. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'll watch something for comfort, even though it's kind of, you know, quite dark. Um, but uh, like I haven't I haven't like I, and because I do documentary so much, I'll watch things like The Vow. And then I, I get to episode nine and I'm like, why did I just spend nine hours watching this film? Um, and it's nothing <laughs> against the film, but it's like, why? I, I just wonder, like, why? Why is, um, you know, The Prison of Belief, the Scientology film? um Alex Gibney's film. Why is that two hours and the vow is nine hours? Like I, I I'm, I'm having, like I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. So sure. I don't know if, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So Especially I, something like dealing with Scientology. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scientology could go in all different directions. And you exactly. can make a 24 part series if you want. You know. So and now they're think they're going to do a season two and it's just kind of like I saw someone tweet like what are they going back into the cult for season two? I mean what what do they do? Like how yeah. do you, he just got sentenced to 120 years in prison. So I, I don't know how they're making a series out of that, but right. um, yeah. So I, I will I will sort of pay attention when there's like like you know when Tiger King came out and stuff and everyone was talking about. It, it was like I sort yeah. of felt like I had to watch it. It was like I'm gonna get asked about. Same. This. I was yeah. maybe like two weeks late. Yeah. Into it, but then it me was too. me and my wife yeah. like I guess we have to. All anyone. <laughs> uh, I need to understand these memes that everybody's talking about. I I, I don't get the context. But the I thing know, is I like know. like. The thing about that is, like, I was totally in it, and we were all just trying to escape the hellhole, but, like, 
how much do you really remember of that? Like you remember sound bites. It wasn't like a very good piece of media. And like it was up against the last dance. Yeah. yeah. And I finally watched the last dance. And it was excellent, man. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, yeah I did too. I, I do. Yeah. The, the, there's some BS in there, but sure. it's still great. It's still great. I, I I always feel like I need to say that, like the pizza stuff, the food sick, the, the food. It's like, oh no, but it still <laughs> took me back to a time when I was like, damn, I remember all of this. Like, yeah, yeah. I, that, forget Jordan and Pippen. Like, I remember Bill Cartwright and B.J. Armstrong Curran. and like yeah, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I took I, it personally. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well, see, so, so, I mean, I'm not that much of a sports person. I know that the, the Knicks are sort of long suffering, and I, and I get like, and I'm I'm from the Boston area or New, New England, so I've, I've had it a lot easier. But but I guess thinking back to like the, that era, I remember on my wall as a kid when when the Jordans came out, when the first you know when the first Nike stuff came out, and Spike Lee was directing those commercials, and mm-hmm. and there was a poster. With um with Michael Jordan like lifting Spike Lee up by his head. Do you remember this poster? Vaguely, yeah. yeah oh, I, I always out. thought he was. Sta- oh, I always thought. Oh, I always thought he was like standing on a basketball. No, and, no, like, he's Jordan lifting him palm- like he's palming his hat, oh, like through his hat. Vaguely, he's lifting I, him I, in the I, air. vaguely, yeah. vaguely. So I had this poster on my wall, but it was like I was like listening to like I mean, I, whatever year that was, I was I was either listening to like glam metal or like punk rock or you know thrash or whatever like. I, it wasn't. I wasn't really into sports even then, and so to, to think about how big an athlete that was, that like yeah. someone like me would have had that that poster on the wall. I guess you could argue it was Spike Lee's influence that 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 put it there. But like, you know, it was just it was a different level of athlete, and 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 also kind of like when they started making those commercials, it was just astounding, like what that was. And I love when they showed the. Um, that like really silly like Converse commercial where they're all rapping um, like before the Michael Jordan yeah. deal comes out it's just yep. like really bad you know yeah. um, and I, I don't remember that one at all but it was like you, you you got you got the sense that something needed to change there and Spike helped that change I guess yeah sure um, but yeah so so it's like when something comes out when a documentary comes out and it and it's getting a lot of buzz or a lot of uh, press I, I sort of almost feel like the, the I, I have to watch it, but a lot of the time it's like you, it's, it's, it has to be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It, it has to be, it, it almost has to have crime in it. Like, it, you know, there's like certain ingredients where people, they'll get viewers. Um, and that's sort of unfortunate because it doesn't leave much room for, you know, personal filmmaking or, you know, the cinema of me, <laughs> um, you know, where it's like, you know, you know, there are lots of different ways to make documentary films. It's the same with narrative. Um, you know, but they seem they seem to be sort of packaging the same content over and over again and putting it in front of, of audiences because they need eyeballs. So, yeah. yeah. Well, to, to, is there anything you'd like to bring up before we uh, wrap up? I don't think. I mean, I hope I didn't like babble and ramble for too long. I mean, it was. Uh, I there is that's, a screening. That, that's kind of the point of the show. That that that, that, <laughs> that that's what we do. So don't worry about. A, yeah, there's... plug where the movie can be seen. Where maybe in the future, yeah, you know, yeah. it can be seen, etc. Yeah. Well, so um, the, there's there's a free uh, screening online on um, on November sixth at seven p.m. via the Housatonic Museum of Art. Um, in Connecticut, and um, and I think it's available for for a little while. I don't think it's like a one off thing. And there's like a little Q and A attached to it that we're doing tomorrow or on cool. Sunday. And um, and so and, and then it's at the St. Louis Film Festival, um, St. Louis International Film Festival, uh, November fifth through the twenty second. But I believe that's only that's only Missouri and 
it might only be Missouri and Illinois or something. Like it's, it's like a Midwest. It's like a regional thing. So I think it's only streaming in those places. So so for New Yorkers that want to check it out, it would be um, it's starting to stream November sixth at seven p.m. and I think it'll be available for for a little a limited time after that um, via uh, museum.husatonic.edu. H o u s a t o n i c. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then it'll it'll be out eventually. You know, these things take time, and especially during COVID. So. They got five televisions in a house full of three. Look up on that fake fireplace, you know the bucktooth boys me. See that wood panel room, that's where I learned to drink. You see that hole in the wall, that was Seagram's I think. And that tree was a goalpost, that bathroom it was a shroud, that closet it was a phone booth, and that mirror it was a crowd. See that guy with the bad knees and his heart on his sleeve, watch him slip me ten dollars when it comes time to leave. It's been five years and some change And this world is getting so strange But this house smells just the same And my mom, my sweet mom She don't remember my name But my mom She can't remember my name But my mom I sit on a bed And I kiss her Calls out for a dog that's been dead for a year. I say, How is it going? Just like I didn't know. I hold on to both of her hands, I'm too afraid to let go. And five times exactly, no more and no less. She says, How you been eating, boy? And I say, Okay, I guess. In this room where she made me Each day she grows weak She flips on the golden girls And the first tear hits my cheek It's been five years And some change And this world getting so strange but this old house 
Mama. 